Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. G'day, welcome to the Fast Advice Podcast, where we talk everything agribusiness. This week on the podcast, I'm excited to welcome Emily Pullen from one of my favourite snack companies, Jim's Jerky. Find out how she has dealt with the pandemic and how she's grown the brand from the Warrego Highway and into the hands of consumers across the globe. Let's get into it. G'day, Emily. Excellent to have you on the Farm Spice podcast today. How's everything going in sunny Queensland? Not too bad, not too bad. Promise of rain coming the next week, which I think everyone would be happy about, so fingers crossed. Yeah, I think everyone's talking about the La Nina coming around. Correct, yes. So hopefully that brings some relief um, for everyone, including those who are still um, waiting. Yeah, absolutely. I think we all need a bit to keep us going, a bit more consistency. So before we get down to business, can you just tell us a bit about your story and how it led you to Jim's Jerky? Yes, certainly. So um, I studied agronomy at university. Um, so I felt very sure that I was going to be an agronomist. <sighs> Sorry. Um, so, um, and then I did it for a couple of years and realised that I didn't uh, enjoy it that much. It was, um, just wasn't challenging. Um, so I did a little bit of travel. Um, I worked overseas for a number of years in London in, um, in, the, in the food sort of area. Um, and in that meantime, my parents actually started Jim Jerky. Um, they were ex-graziers and went into the value-adding space. So when I came back from overseas and um, worked in Australia for a little while, we had that family conversation that families tend to have about whether or not um, I was going to come back into the business. And in 2015, I um, joined the family business formally. Excellent. So like Jim's Jerky, Jim's your dad? He is, yes. So mum and dad started it in um, 2004 in a little butcher shop outside of Toowoomba. And it's really like grown out to quite a large jerky business. You can find it nearly most servos I've been in on the East Coast. Yeah, 
Um, we're, we're working on it. Um, it's still a small business. So um, jerky, while it's um, certainly gaining more and more popularity um, around Australia, is still a fairly niche product. But certainly it's got much more market acceptance now than it ever has before. And, um, yeah, service stations, petrol convenience, supermarkets, they're all starting to um, look more into that alternative snacking space. Yeah, and it's a great protein to have on the run. And it's not like just having fatty chips or whatnot. Exactly, yeah. Well, that's what we say anyway. How, how did your parents come about or like what spurred them on to start Jim's Jerky? Yeah, so it's an interesting story. They, um, they had a property on the Northern Downs at a place called Jerome and then they also had a property in central Queensland. Um, when they sold that, they were kind of looking around what they would do next and um, Dad had a look at this little butcher shop outside of Toowoomba it was actually being run by a South African guy who was making biltong um, as well as doing wholesale butchery. And Dad had never tried biltong before. Um, it was something um, that he just thought was fantastic. It was, you know, minimally processed. It tasted like real meat, but like a really, you know, um, savoury snack. And it was so different from the jerkies that were available 16 years ago on the market. They tended to be really highly processed, really sugary and a really long way away from the raw material that he had been um, producing as a grazier, you know. Um, so much effort went into making this amazing beef product and then the snack that was available in the store was, you know, a long way away from that. Um, so he decided completely randomly to purchase the, um, the butcher shop and instead of sort of continuing the wholesale butchering, um, start making beef jerky and built on it because he really liked it and he thought, that there was something like that on the market that um, other people might like it too. So that's how they got their start. Well, starting out in 2004 was quite early on in the piece and, like, you've captured a lot of that market, you feel? Um, oh, look, we're, we've captured a little bit. and You know, we, we, we're always trying to grow and do more. Um, I think being early in on the piece um, probably meant that they had to do a lot of, um, er, a lot of the early work in educating consumers around um, what you know, the, the difference between um, maybe some of the market leaders and, and the, I guess, the new generation of, of jerkies that tended to be less highly processed, um, you know, ha have sort of less um, sugar and, and things like that. So there was, you know, a long time of um, going to, you know, the Ecker and Sydney Royal and getting everyone to sample, 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 because, um, you know, a lot of people say, oh, I don't like jerky. And then when they try it, they're usually pleasantly surprised. So there's been, a lot, you know, 15 years of, of education to grow the market that they've been a part of. Yeah, it's definitely. Well, like with the sampling, it's quite easy for you. You don't have to give away an arm and a leg. It's just literally giving a couple of sachets out and then capturing them. Yeah, that's right. Or, you know, particularly at the big shows, which unfortunately COVID's put paid to this year, um, you know, that's actually talking to consumers. So it's explaining the process, you know, explaining the cut of meat that we use, um, explaining um, the drying process that it's dehydrated, it's not cooked. Um, you know, so it's almost that one-on-one -on -one connection with consumers, which has helped us to organically grow um, over the years the way that we have. And telling that story, I imagine, goes really well in the events. Are you like at the Ecker? Yeah, yep. So we did all of the major shows um, around Australia as well as the big agricultural shows. Um, so we'd have stands there. And um, yeah, so that has been something that's been a big change for us this year um, with COVID um, happening and, and nearly all of those being cancelled this year has been, um, you know, a different way that we've been able to um, work, you know, connect with those consumers 
So, you know, a little bit more online, working a little bit more with distributors to get it out there. Um, but that's been a challenge for us, certainly. How has it impacted your, like, core function much or...? Not, not the core functions. Um, it, what, what it's done is it's taken away one of our routes to market. So um, one of the things when I came back into the business um, five years ago was we had a look at the routes to markets that we had in place. So where are we selling? Where can we see the, um, to be really good growth? So you know, direct to consumer, whether that be we've got a, a, a store here, we've got our online store, and then we had our shows and markets. Um, and then, you know, through... Uh, retailers so like you said service stations and then um, targeting uh, the supermarkets as well so it's taken away one of those routes to market and I think one thing that it's proven to us this year was if you have all of your eggs in one basket it can be really detrimental and luckily we've worked really hard over the last five years to have lots of different legs so it didn't knock us out completely um, but it certainly took out took out one of those routes to market for us and a valuable one because we love talking to our customers and you get you know, great feedback straight away around what people like, you know, what they like to have, what they enjoy. So we're missing that element of it, um, but we're st- we were still able to trade even having lost that. Yeah, suppose like that feedback, you would rely on that quite a lot, wouldn't you, for your customers? For, like, different yeah, flavors, absolutely. Different flavours, um, you know, the si- sort of size packs that people want to purchase, um, you know, whether or not they're enjoying the product, if we're trying a new, a new flavour or a new product type. Um, we might, you know, bring it out um, with samples and say, you know, get feedback. And if it sells out, it's gone really well. Or if, you know, people are uh, not really keen and, you know, well, that's not going to work for a wider release. So, um, and, you know, for a consumer-facing brand or, or any brand, you know, you ignore your customer to your peril. So um, having that connection has been really important. And, and you know, I'm hopeful that, um, you know, we can reestablish those um, much wider connections um, as we move forward in a post-COVID world um, as well. Yeah, absolutely. I think, well, hopefully for you, it's not too long out before it's sort of back to normal for you and get back to the testing. For for like your supply chain into Jim's Jerky, is that like, do you still Mm. have a farm with cattle on it or? Uh, So after mum and dad started, they did have a little, a little farm that had, you know, ran a few head, Um, but uh, we, we work with some, um, some really trusted partners that are both wholesalers and um, processors to, um, to get access. We only use um, one or two cuts of beef in our processing. So um, we're really quite locked down in, in our specifications to make our product. Um, So we work with some, with some suppliers and we use um, Topside mainly. Um, to to process our beef jerky, so um, we yeah we have to run a hell of a lot ahead just to uh, just to harvest the top side. So we we use other um, other trusted brands. Do you think like top side is something that would be of value more than Jim's jerky? Like sorry, what? If they're selling top side just through the markets generally into supermarkets, yeah, is jerky being able to like value add on that? Yeah, I think certainly we've noticed in the last 10 years in particular, the, um, the base value of Topside has really grown. Um, I think uh, further processing has um, absolutely played a role in that. And I certainly, we certainly don't use enough to say it's definitely, you know, all us. But um, I think it's a fantastic processing meat and it's a very, um, like you can use it for a lot of different um, processes. So whilst it might not eat particularly well as a steak, 
um, it makes an excellent stir fry and, and other sort of ingredients. So I think um, as the value chain, the red meat industry has tried to grow, grow the value overall of the carts topside's risen with that. Um, so um, it's, it certainly has been times in the last couple of years where it's been scarce. So we've had to sort of like, you know, work to try and find the supply. So, you know, I think overall that's really um, a fantastic job by industry, though sometimes I wish they weren't so good at selling it so we can always have so good access. Up. Yeah, Absolutely. that's right. Is top side the same as silver side? Oh, similar. It's a similar cut. Um, so, um, and, and honestly, you're probably better off talking to someone who knows their cuts way better than I do. Um, but for us, we don't like a lot of marbling. Um, fat doesn't dehydrate. Yep. So um, we want it to be uh, lean meat and no intramuscular fat or muscle where we can. So it probably doesn't eat that well as a steak. Um, but it certainly dries really well for the product that we use. A few mates and I used to do a bit of jerky on the side at university. We used to use mm -hmm. the silver side. Yeah, very similar cut and, and, a, and a nice size to work with. Absolutely. So for like the farmers that are, you're getting your top side from, do mm -hmm. they, they know it's going to Jim's jerky and they like have a bit of accountability to that and enjoy that their product? Uh, yeah, so so we it's probably not to be honest. We tend to work with um, with processors, so um, oh, right. yeah. they'll take they'll take the um, the, the uh, carcass and, and utilize the cuts in different ways. Though over the years we have partnered with different um, branded products. We one of the problems we have not problems one of the challenges with um, with working specifically with a, a producer or a branded product is um, consistent um, product. And, and you know between the one and two pallets a week so um that's why we have a, a wide sort of um, group or network that we work with to make sure that we've always got access to the product so that we can get the roars in to then turn it into jerky to meet our requirements with our with our customers exactly so for like gyms are you looking at diversifying product like even different always meats? yeah so we also as well as beef we do kangaroo so we make a kangaroo jerky, um, which is um, which is actually doing quite well. Uh, we don't put a lot of effort into the marketing of it um, at this point, but it has a, a nice sort of um, turnover, which um, people are seeking those alternative proteins all the time. Um, but you know, one of the one of the things that we're always working on is new product development um, and having a, a plan in place for um, trialing new products, and that can be as simple as um, trying new flavors right to actually developing new products. Um, one of the things that we are constantly trying to look at is how we use our trim, because when we receive our top sides, if you can imagine you know, a, a product this size, um, we trim it of all of the visible fat from the outside, because as I said, fat doesn't dry. Um, so we're left with this kind of um, you know, probably 80 CL trim product. Um, that's a, you know, a, a, I guess a, the secondary from our beef jerky. So we make some beef um, ambient small goods out of that, things like uh, dry horse, which is also a Southern African product, um, cheese grillers, twiggy sticks, beer sticks that we also um, find markets for because it allows us to use all of the meat in, in a, an effective way. So that's something that we're constantly doing. Yeah, so you're always needing to innovate and just like go into what the consumer wants in the end? Yeah, that's right. Innovate, and also um, I think it's important for our customers that um, that we are constantly um, trying to offer them new products. Be an innovator um, for them in terms of beef snacks and protein snacks. 
Um, so, you know, you've got your call range that sells really well, but um, I think one of the rules in um, fast-moving consumer 10% of your turnover be from a new product. And whether that's a new flavour or a totally new product, that's something that, you know, the big companies like the Unilevers and the Mars of the world measure themselves by. So even though we're just a tiny little business on the Darling Downs, that's something that we try and think about too. Like every year, are we going to introduce something new to market to keep things innovative and keep customers interested? How have you like tackled that coming up against the bigger players in the market? Yeah, so I guess something we learned early on, um, you know, there's some really big, well-established jerky brands in the market. And in terms of volume and price, we're never going to be able to meet them head on because, um, you know, we're, as I said, we're a small family business. Um, so we have to find our differentiation in the marketplace and try and match that with what a certain um, consumer is looking for. Um, for us, how we've differentiated ourselves from some of the market leaders is um, the product itself is a little bit different. We're a little bit drier. Um, we have a lower sugar content. Um, we very heavily and Australian because we're really proud of our Australian beef that we use and, and our, you know, our grazing roots, my parents' grazing roots. Um, and I guess just uh, giving people a different option. So, um, you know, I studied agronomy and my parents were graziers for 25 years. So we don't, you know, we've come into this industry having to learn so much. And one of the things we've learned is that often in, um, in retail, you have a, a, a different offering for a different consumer. So you've got good, better, best. And so we have tried to take the premium position in, in that, um, that we're not necessarily the cheapest, but we give uh, our value proposition is that, you know, we're, we're a slightly um, different premium product. Yeah, and you're sort of giving back to the community, the farmers, the processors. Well, one of the joys of, uh, of communicating by the internet, sorry, I just missed that. And you're just sort of like giving back through, back through your supply chain, back to the farmers and the processors that are processing your meat? That's right. So, you know, one of the key things that we really see that we're doing is, um, is a new way for people to enjoy red meat. Um, it's an out-of-home experience. It's in the impulse section. So, so often if you wanted to enjoy a piece of meat, you'd have to keep it cold and then you'd have to cook it and prepare it, whereas this is... Um, you know, if you think about a potato and a bag of potato chips being totally different uses, well, we're doing that for beef. So yeah. we're looking at finding a new um, consumer occasion and, and hopefully one that um, can continue to grow over time. Are you looking into like overseas? I imagine like the Asia markets would love kangaroo being lean and it's Aussie. Yeah, that's right. So, um, yes, we... Um, Worked very hard and got our export accreditation um, at the end of 2019. So um, that was a big undertaking because it's, um, you know, it's a step up in terms of audits and, and some of the processes that we had in place. Um, so we're all gung-ho to um, make 2020 uh, our export year and we all know what happened in March. Um, so we um, definitely have our eye on the export market. Um, we would... Um, you know, we'd look at um, targeting specific markets and working with partners there um, to to be able to offer Australian red meat as a snack. Um, you know, the Australian red meat industry has done a fantastic job making 
Australian red meat the um, you know the protein of choice in a lot of destination markets and we'd like to be able to capitalize on that but in the snacking space so that's been I guess watch this space um, but a bit of an undertaking too because it, again it's it's new for us yeah absolutely. it's a mammoth job to be able to export your own product talking about like the industry have you been working with the industry much at all like with MLA red meat yeah, yes, actually. Um, so we, we have worked a bit with MLA. Um, you know, uh, last year they, um, well, the red meat industry released the plan for the next 10 years and that was to, I think, double the value of the Australian red meat industry, um, which is a pretty big undertaking. Um, and part of that is, um, you know, value adding uh, to the product and thinking about value adding beyond just, um, you know, putting fresh meat on styrofoam. But you know, thinking about all the different ways that you can um, that you can create value. So um, we've done a couple. Of, we've done a couple of projects with MLA. Um, one was looking at what export markets we might target, and another is um, working on a on a new product development as well. So um, I think you know they're they're really supportive, and in the last ten years, we've seen them engage much more um, in down I guess post farm gate to try and work on new ways for Australian beef to be sold. So um, they've been, yeah, they've been a really good touch point for us. I think it's a great way to bounce off like the industry and get a bit of research happening behind you, get a bit of backing. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And I guess, you know, um, even though we are further down the production line, we still very much think of ourselves as part of the Australian red meat industry. Um, so it's nice to sort of have that connection. Yeah, and you're the connection to the consumer directly, the jerky lovers. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> For like your marketing presence, what what do you find which channels work and like what digital assets are you using that others may yeah. not know of? Or? Um, we're probably um, we're probably a little bit underdeveloped in some of our digital um, markets, and that's something that um, we've identified that we need to work on. Um, I think how we how mum and dad, you know, the graziers from from regional Queensland who started this, you know, going head to head with some of the big snacking brands. And, you know, we think of ourselves now as a snack company, not just as a big jerky company because um, we're, we're in the same space as Smith's Chips, you know. Um, so we probably need to develop that a little bit more. So the first phase of Jim's becoming a brand was that one-to-one um, -one consumer contact. So going to shows in, you know, Cairns and near Mackay and Brisbane and going to the Gunnedah um, agricultural field days and things, you know, you're one-on-one, -on -one, you're talking, people are starting to enjoy it. The next step beyond that is how you connect with people um, where you're not actually able to see them face-to-face -to, -face to take that next phase. And so part of that is partnering with, um, you know, retailers so that you've got your brand presence. Um, but I think most importantly is that the packaging is something that people want to pick up because, they, you know, you've got less than a second, I think, where people are scanning supermarket aisles to actually make that impact. And then once they've purchased it, the repurchase is really important. Did they enjoy it? Is it something that they want to do again? And then hopefully that becomes a growth strategy in itself. So there's a little bit more to it, but um, it's something that we've identified that we, you know, for the next phase of growth, we have to lean into it. Yeah, so you are measuring that bit of, like, the retention of the customers? Yeah, so... Where we um, have sort of direct control, yes, and then we just have to work with our um, retail partners to say, you know, what's working, what's not. This this is working really well, like this flavour is working really well, this flavour is not, so can we try another one? So it's just a constant conversation around um, 
delivering value for the customer that ends up eating the product, but also to, you know, delivering value for your retailing partners, the guys that are taking on your product into their stores and selling it, whether that's a, you know, a small corner store or, or even one of the majors like Woolworths. When, when you're looking for these stores, are you looking for like high traffic, high foot traffic or high car, cars coming through, like service stations? Yeah, it so um, it doesn't really matter. We, we would like to think that the place falls jerky everywhere that there's a place for snacks. Yep. So, um, you know, we've got some random places that work really well, like um, a cinema. Um, there's a couple of cinemas that just sell a really reasonable amount of jerky that you just wouldn't think. So anywhere that people snack, um, people that are starting to think more about what they eat. So if you're about to step into a car for a four-hour journey, and you feel a bit snackish, like you want something, the pause now, do I buy the packet of chips and lollies or do I buy an alternative snack? And an alternative snack is what we would say is a better for you snack or a permissible snack. So there's the popcorn, nuts, pretzels, beef jerky. These are, I'm still snacking and I'm still getting that satiation, but I'm thinking a little bit more about what I'm putting into my body. Yeah, I think it's like a good way. You can tell your story like a lot better through that way being a healthy alternative yep. getting protein throughout the day yes that's right for like what like what's coming up for dim's jerky what's the next biggest um, project the export market? what's the next biggest project yeah so exports um so we're 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 sort of working with a couple of um key contacts in some southeast asian markets um those tend to be long conversations where you kind of need to do a fair bit of market research to make sure that the product that we have is one that's going to um, resonate with consumers there. Um, so that's probably a bit more of a long-term um, goal. Um, otherwise, it's just um, continuing to develop our domestic markets and um, I guess grow into the markets that we already have and try and catch up, capture some new ones. Um, and yeah, as I said, uh, working on some new products so that we've got something new to bring to market um, to keep consumers excited and, and to you know give something of value to our retailers as well. So um, it's just I guess continuing sort of process to work through that. Yeah, definitely. Well, you definitely got your work cut out for you um, during COVID and after COVID's relaxed a little bit. Yeah, quite. For yeah. for like someone looking to value add to their own processes. What's like one mm. piece of advice you'd tell them just to get stuck into it and do the research? Um, I think, yeah, so the way mum and dad um, started it is probably not one that you'd recommend, <laughs> which is, I think this is really nice. I'm going to now sell this. Um, dad tells the story. We're on the, for anyone in Queensland or who knows this area, where, uh, where we actually manufacture and where our um, jerky cellar door is, is right on the Warrego Highway, which is quite a busy road that runs all the way west from Brisbane. Um, and the first month that Dad took over um, the butcher shop and made his jerky, he made 12 kilos in that first um, first month, I think. And he said he remembers standing at the front door watching the cars drive up and down the Warrego Highway. He's like, bloody hell, how am I going to sell this now? Um, so I think, I think you have to be a little bit mad to do it, but um, probably just do a little bit of research around what market you are looking to target is there, um, you know, is there a need that you can fill? Um, has the consumer got a problem that you have the answer for? What does that look like? And um, I guess just do your homework on the, the costings and all of that. It's really boring planning stuff. Yeah. Um, but mostly um, when you do do it, 
do it with some passion and um and that that can also be the differentiator between you and you know a really big market leader um if you you might be able to be a disruptor in that space yeah that's it just definitely be passionate do the research and have a go yeah basically <laughs> um for the we might start to wrap it up there for the podcast is there anyone you'd like to hear on here and why maybe keeping it within um, your own realm yeah, I was having a bit of a think about that. And I actually think um, someone who, who I know who's had a really interesting experience this year and a definite change landscape, um, I think, uh, is my a good friend of mine called um, Susan McEwen. And she's a, a meat trader, or a meat salesman, which is actually based in Melbourne and works for Thomas Foods International. And their um, way of working has, you know, all of us have been affected in one way or another, but I think in particular... Um, her experience with, you know, the, there was a huge demand in the beginning and then the food service dying off and then, you know, even some of the pressure on their processing plants, particularly in Victoria, um, it's certainly been a bit of a problem start. So I think she'd be a really interesting, sorry, I think she'd be a really interesting addition to the podcast. Yeah, absolutely. The meat trading business is huge um, and I think we're going through like a big shift. People looking for proteins but like also the alternative such as beef jerky and also kangaroo yeah yeah for for yourself or jim's jerky how can people get in touch with you or reach you so our website is um if you google jim's jerky it should pop up um and we're on um facebook and instagram as well and personally i have a little instagram page called beef snack enthusiast um and i um, share some of the behind the scenes stuff of, of um yeah what it's like to um run a little Beef jerky company, so that's yeah, we're, we're following along on there. That's excellent. Good to see the backside of it. Yeah, yeah, the uh, away from the shiny, the shiny outside. That's it. Well, excellent to have you on the show today, Emily. Thank you for joining us. That's all right, and I apologise for the uh, the lively sounds of the open uh, plan office here. No worries, that's all business. No worries. Well, thank you very much for your time. Thanks for joining us for the twenty first episode. We hope you enjoyed it. Emily is leading a small snack brand against the biggest snack companies in the world and she's pulling it off as well. Please help us and share and subscribe to the podcast so we can continue to give a voice to agribusinesses to create a more transparent industry and also grab some jerky when you're in the servo next. Catch the episode in the show notes at farmsadvice.com.au and tune in next week. Cheers. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? 
Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.